My name is Melissa. My name is Katie. My name is Ashley Brooke. My name is Emma Christensen. And I am a survivor of sex trafficking in America. Hello, and welcome to season one of our podcast, Selling Girls in America. This show is dedicated to shedding light on the crime of sex trafficking in America. We want to give a voice to survivors of this crime as well as discuss prevention methods to stop more people from becoming victims. I'm your host, Randy, a writer and podcaster, and I just learned about human trafficking in the United States. I wanted to put this podcast together with Guardian Group to learn more about these crimes and get answers to questions, questions that I think most Americans would have. Joining me shortly is Jeff Teagues, a military veteran with over 25 years of service in the Army and Chief Operations Officer of Guardian Group, a nonprofit organization that fights human trafficking within the United States. The following episode contains distressing content regarding sex trafficking. This may be triggering for those with lived experience or their families. Please proceed with caution. Hey, welcome back. Me and Jeff are here. Uh, uh, Since I'm a writer, it should be Jeff and I. And uh, we're going to talk about basically the recruiting, for lack of a better phase. I I know there's another another, part of the cycle that Jeff said, and he'll correct me once he he, uh, starts talking, I'm sure. But what what we're going to talk about today is, you know, I guess what I'm most curious about as a kind of a noob uh, at this whole uh, trafficking thing in the U.S. is what the average trafficked person looks like, because I, I have my own preconceptions about this. You know, I would say, you know, homeless people, underprivileged people, poor and, you know, mostly girls, uh, females, uh, you know, the single families, uh, all these all these people that have that have problems they're trying to run away with. They're just really ripe for the traffickers. I, I get that's what I envision this from seeing, watching movies and TV shows and reading books and stuff. And, and, and I don't know if that's true. I don't know what the statistics are or anything like that. So uh, I know when I was reading uh, the guardian Gro- guardian group uh, pod uh, blog posts, they had an 11 year old that ran away from a, uh, you know, a, uh, kind of a abusive grandfather. They had a college student that actually had a pretty good family life. And some, she got, she kind of fell into it. Then they had a lot of, but, but a lot of them were people that were just estranged from their families and they didn't have this family support group. And that's kind of what made them ripe for being trafficked. Uh, is that about right, Jeff? Yeah, Randy, they come from all all walks of life. So the, the, the first thing I think we need to do is is characterize this again. So one, we said it in the last episode, this is not pedophilia that we're, that you and I are discussing. This isn't men that want to have sex with with prepubescent children, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. These this is the commercial industry. This is the underground commercial sex industry. And when you're looking at this from a product, and again, it, it it disgusts me and it should disgust the listener to hear me talking about these girls and boys as products, but they've got to get that into, into their head. This is a product. This is a can of, of, of a soft drink. This is a tennis shoe. This is something that they're selling. There's a, there's a market. There's a demand for this market. So when you talk about numbers, most men that are purchasing sex want to have sex with a pretty young girl. They're not interested in a child. Okay. It's a, it's a pretty young girl. The reason minors get caught up in this is because the pimp, the trafficker, that predator, the easiest group of people to manipulate and exploit is that age range of 13 to 15 years old. Those those girls are the most vulnerable because they're the most impressionable. 
things are happening in their lives. And it happened to you and I. We are all by design reach a point in our lives where we begin to question our parents. We begin to question authority. We begin to move move away into our independence. That's how we're all hardwired. Otherwise, we'd never we'd never leave home, right? So there's a there's a hardwiring in boys and girls in those teenage years where they're beginning to move away from their family and take risks. But they're also impressionable. And they're looking for love. They're looking to build their self-esteem. They're looking for these relationships. And the other critical factor that we have to take into account is just physically what the girls look like. The girl that's for sale online has to be able to, to be passed off as an 18-year-old. Because no one, most, most common people in America, I don't care what your attitude is about prostitution or sex work, most of us can agree children, minors, should not be involved in the sex industry. So that trafficker has to find that sweet spot where the victim is easy to exploit and yet he can pass her off as an adult onto these commercial sites. And the vulnerabilities that you talked about, they're all there. When you have a broken family, when you're homeless, when you're a runaway, that is a high percentage risk category. But now you have to think of it as a product again. That woman who lives on the street and she's addicted to crack, her value can only go so high. These traffickers, if they, if they can sell that woman for 40 or $50 an hour, that pales in comparison to that girl that they can sell for $500 an hour. So while yes, the highest risk categories include all of those things that you would think, broken families, homeless, runaways, abuse from parents, the market that they need to, to bring into uh, and, and sell are these girls coming from our normal homes, these beautiful, pretty girls. So, so is that, is that, that's how it, is that the, the divisive factor, like how, what they look like? I mean, it's uh, the high price ones are the ones that look the best. Is that, is that pretty much how it goes? Yep. The ones that look the best and the ones that can perform. So that, that's the other thing, too. A lot of people think these girls are, are drug addled or drug addicted. The, the, the trafficker has to be very careful. He does not want to lose control of the girl to a drug. So many of these drugs is often introduced into this whole trafficking cycle. But the, but the trafficker has to be the drug dealer and that girl has to perform. So if, if, a, if a buyer is going to pay 500 bucks an hour or a thousand bucks a night for a, for a girl, he's expecting some performance. So it's looks and performance. That is what they are selected for and trained into. Hmm. So I guess let's, let, let's, uh, let's, huh. So do you have statistics on this that we can hook up in the show notes later? Like, yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll send you a, a bunch of statistics uh, that we can hang up. You know, the, 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 some of the stats there is you're, you're talking about, you know, mid, low 90 percentile is American girls that are coming from, from our families. And, and this is that same um, mistake that people make is that these are foreign girls or they're coming across the border. While it, while it does happen, it elevates the risk of the trafficker. If, if a trafficker could convince a girl to leave her family and run away with him, that is the, that is the lowest kind of profile that people care about. You know, bringing a girl across a border that's undocumented, those are just higher risks that these traffickers have to deal with. Same with kidnapping. I, I gave a class, I was teaching the other day, and, and one of the 
I asked one of the law enforcement, I said, what, what happens when a girl gets kidnapped? And the law enforcement officer said, the entire world stops. The entire world will stop and look for that girl. So what I tell people is if a girl is kidnapped, it doesn't end well. Okay, that girl is not being kidnapped into the commercial sex trade. That girl is being kidnapped into something separate and it probably ends with a murder. These girls that you and I are talking about are sold over and over and over, day in and day out. Average buyer, average number of buyers is 10 buyers a day. Those girls are not uh, getting thrown away initially. It's an investment that these traffickers are making and they want that return on the investment. So I I, uh, I was I noticed on uh, some of your blog posts and also we talked about <clears throat> social media yesterday making the whole trafficking easier over the generations the the years from, especially from when we were younger um, and uh, I'm wondering you know more and more women or people I guess I I don't know if women are using dating sites as much as men are too I'm sure men are using them like they're going out of style but maybe there's only the same fifty women on there because. <laughs> I don't know. But, but, uh, but, uh, but there's plenty of fish, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter and, uh, and, uh, uh, um, Tinder and things like that. Is that, is that a, is it, and, the, and then they end up talking to these people and they make meet them the same day. I, some, some of your blog posts showed women meeting them on the same day and then like going over their house cause the guy said he was sick and then, and then, and then not, and not actually getting traffic that day, but you know, later, have make having a relationship with this guy, which we'll get into the next episode about grooming. But, but uh, is this is this is this a cultural phenomenon that's just making? Uh, I mean the the what's the difference between me and a trafficker? I meet someone on a dating website. You know, we we decide to go on a date. I send her flowers, like once someone did on your blog post. You know, before the date, she thinks it's sweet. We go on a date. I bring her home. I give her a kiss on the cheek. It's like, that's a great day. I like to do this again. How does a woman differentiate between a nice guy and a guy that's not going to make her life very good in the future? Yeah, it, it it's often hard to tell up, up front. So here, here's one of the things um, that, that we talk to with, with parents. Okay, so let's say for your example, Randy, if you were, if you were approaching one of my daughters to, to date, if I looked at your social media profile and all of your friends looked like losers, you know, if your other friends <laughs> looked like pimps and traffickers and drug dealers, it's a good indicator. I mean, we, we laugh about it, but, but, you know, in, a, in America, we have this idea like, like profiling or, you know, like we've, we've, we've talked about profiling and you can't do this. We, we profile all the time. We make, we draw assumptions. The way you represent yourself online is important. So unless you've already created a social media presence that kind of hides who you truly are. That that's, that's one thing to look at. But a lot of these traffickers, a lot of these pimps, because part of the game is them representing themselves as this persona, as this powerful businessman that should attract other women, you know, that it should attract women to come to them and, and want to work with him. He has a very public persona often that is very easy for us to see. And it does almost look like, some of these huggy bear and uh, what was it? What was it? Detroit? Was it Dr. Detroit? Dr. Detroit with uh, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. So that that's the easy one is when you look at someone's social media, if he is that overtly a, a pimp, it's, it's fairly easy to see. Now that guy who may be a recruiter, 
that guy who may be a couple steps removed from that pimp or that guy who just has a different persona. It's, it's hard to see until the relationship develops. And here's what I tell parents. That boyfriend, when he begins to isolate that girl from those things that make her who she is, at best, he's just a dick, right? At best, he's just a controlling jerk because he wants, he wants to control this girl. But a, a trafficker, a pimp, cannot afford to have these girls have a support network around them. So I don't care what that is, if it's their church, if it's their school, if it's glee club, if it's cheerleading, if it's spelling bee, whatever it is that, that makes this girl healthy, he needs to separate her from that. And the likewise, if you're a good guy and you want to date a girl and have her become someone serious, the logic would be you want to double down on those things that make her who she is, right? You want to double down on the friends that are healthy, her family that's healthy, the activities that she does that are healthy. So while you may not see it in day one, these controlling, these isolating behaviors begin to present themselves. Um, and like I said, at best, the guy's just a jerk. At worst, he is an exploiter and he's trying to lead that girl down a path that may not end well. So is your, so your advice to girls dating on dating websites and stuff, first of all, don't right. And then uh, second, but you know, that's not going to stop it, but, but basically they should do their due diligence, right? They should be looking at his, if they meet him on Tinder, they should be going straight to Facebook and going, what does this guy look like and Instagram and things like that. And looking at his social profiles and doing the, what psychos do. What, we, what, what me and you would call psycho psycho women and are and are probably in our our past maybe me because you've been married forever I think but uh, I've been single a couple times in the last twenty years um, but uh, but that's the only way they can protect themselves really right yep do do the due diligence that's 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 the first step the, the, the second step is don't engage in behavior that you might be embarrassed in online don't start sexting. Don't start having sex talk back and forth. Don't start sending nude photos. Okay, too, too often th these women, these girls are, are moving into that space. Again, at, at best, the, the guy is just, he's being a creepy guy, you know? I mean, but at worst, that's already starting to be that manipulation. So now what, one of the things that we've talked about with these traffickers is, and, and I, I interview pimps and traffickers as often as I can to understand their, their psychology. And one of these one of these traffickers talked to me where, OK, this girl that comes from a broken home, she's been abused by her, by her family. Where is her level of shame? How does he manipulate and control her? Her, her shame is out the window. She's been abused since she was a child. But now take this um, Christian girl who lives in a, a, a nuclear home that seemingly everything is fine. Right. And this, and this trafficker convinces this girl to send him a nude photo or to talk, have some sex talk uh, online. Her level of shame is so shallow that he can now take that and exploit it. Oh, you want me to show this to your parents? You want me to show this to your pastor? You want me to show this to your teacher? So these girls, innocently enough, are already crossing these tiny little boundary lines that they don't feel comfortable about, but they don't recognize how it can be exploited. So do your due diligence. Don't start with a sex talk. Don't send the don't send the dirty photos. And when you do have that first meet, work work the double date. You know, have have this have this double date. Do not get yourself isolated with uh, with something that seemingly could be a predator. 
because the grooming cycle can take days, weeks, and months, but it can also happen overnight. And that date can turn into a, a, a violent abuse, a gang rape, a, a disappearance, a, a breaking straight away. And we've seen that more and more common of late. So you want to, I, I, what specific red flags are they looking for? Are they looking for like, cause they don't see that the, these guys, these traffickers seem to be pretty smart about this. They don't put pressure on the first night. They're not like, or the first date, they, they want to build a relationship and get them comfortable. So is there any red flags besides, you know, their social media presence that they're looking for when they're talking to these guys? Yeah, I think it's what we I think it's what we talk about. It's it's the isolation, but then it's 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 the people uh, it's the people around them. A lot of these survivors that we talk to, they'll see the friends, they'll see these other girls. Um, there will be a certain amount of a hidden life. You know, you should know if you're going out with a guy, you should know what he does for a living. It should be fairly transparent, right? Does he work at Applebee's? Does he sell cars? What is it that he does? You know, and if he's an entertainer. Where's the evidence of that entertainment? You know, like I'm not saying grab their W2 stub, but but too, <laughs> too often, too often these 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 instinctual things that women and girls have in them, they dismiss it. So we are we are hardwired built to survive. Okay. And what we've done over time is we've we've forced women to suppress that instinct because they're overreacting or oh honey, you don't understand. We have got to reignite and reinforce and encourage women to listen to that tiny voice in their head um, because they see it. I can't, I can't give you those lists, those inconsistencies, the, the nice car, but you don't understand what he does. You know, he has a couple of different houses. He's got a couple of friends that are women that look like prostitutes. All of these things too often women dismiss away. They need to dig into those. And when their gut instinct tells them something isn't right here, they need to push that. They need to figure out what, what is the real story. Okay. Um, and, and so you're talking about the, the isolation of family and friends. So in reference to families and friends helping their loved ones not get isolated, what, you know, for those that have a nucleus, a nuclear, a nuclear family, you know, uh, what's the, what can they do to help? You know, I, I, I guess if I, if I was to answer this to someone to ask me this based on what I know, I would say, you know, you, it, it's hard. Cause I, I'm, I'm a parent. I've had a teenage daughter and teenage boys and, and you're like, Hey, you can tell me anything, but you know, they're not. Cause you know, as a child, actually I had a pretty good, pretty good childhood and I told my parents pretty much everything. I can't remember anything. I didn't really tell them, but I know a lot of people don't. <laughs> and, uh, and I know my kids didn't, uh, so, uh, you know, how, how do you get to, that's probably the, a, a solution to, you know, you can't prevent any, everything for happening, but it sure is a lot harder if they, if they, if they can't tell you, if they don't feel like they can tell you everything. So what's, what does, what do friends and families, how do they play a part in preventing this from happening or, or identifying when it's happening and, and getting other people involved? Yeah, man, this is a really hard one, you know, and, and by the grace of God, my, my two sons, I haven't had any daughters. My, my, my two sons have been largely immune from a, from a lot of this. Um, it, it, while it's really hard to answer, there's also some things that people just have to really, really be honest with themselves, you know, and, and the, the, here's, here's an example. <clears throat> be present. 
be present in your child's life. Okay. And too often, Randy, you and I, there, there were many times in my life where I was not present for my children because we were off soldiering, right? There are many times I wasn't present for my wife. None of us are immune from this, but, but people have to be really, really honest with themselves when they look at what else is getting in the way. And this, this rush to, you know, achieve things and, and make money, it's, it's getting in the way of being present with your kid. So while on one hand, that's a really simple thing to say, be present with your children. If we're honest with ourselves, it's, it's, it's not a very easy thing to, to, to say and do. It's that being present and that's, and it's being open. And here's another one that's even harder to, to kind of the nuance of this. Uh, but you're going to know what I'm talking about because all of us as parents, we, we go through this. You have to discern when something is happening in your kid's life. What are you upset about or what's worrying you? Is it how it may reflect on you? You know what I mean? Like too often parents, when their children are making choices that they're, that, that, that they're concerned about, it is almost like a selfish reaction to, oh, how does, this, how does this reflect on me? How does this look to my church? How does this look to the people I work with? How does, how does this look to my neighbors? Parents have to get out of the way of their kids, and they have to try to understand what journey is this child on, and then can I intervene? So while, while those are two simple things, don't make this about you. Hey, parent, don't make this about you. Hey, parent, be present in your children's life. Man, I, I hope this sounds okay because I'm not. I'm not trying to be, you know, judgmental or, or standing on high. These are all things, you know, you know, dude. We all struggle with this, but those are the things that first get in the way. That parent isn't present, or that parent is too concerned on how this reflects on them and how they look in the community. And that tiny little chip, man, that trafficker will will find the wedge and he will drive it in there, and and it'll to never return. So, um. I get so if you if you're if you're if you're a, a parent that you recognize something is different about the communication with your because I assume if if he's trying to separate the girl from his from her support network you're going to talk less on the phone you're going to maybe I mean if he gets a hold of her phone you probably won't get less text but you may get def- a different kind of tone from the text because no one can write like your daughter he can try but he's not going to write just like your daughter um but if if you I mean when does it become uh I think something's going on do I who do I call kind of thing for a parent like when when would a parent I mean I guess parents got to go with his gut right and and if he's wrong He's wrong for the right reasons. You know, if you get someone else involved, then, and they're saying, Hey, it's nothing. She's just being a teenager. You're like, phew, she's just being a teenager. Uh, as opposed to, Oh shit. She, yeah, she, I saw pictures of her on this website. She's being trafficked. Holy fuck. And now what do I do? So when, it, when, it, when does a parent get to a friend, friend or parent, you know, cause I can, friends can be the same way, right? You, you, now I'm not talking to my best friend anymore for some reason. So when, when do they get involved? When do they step it up? I think immediately, uh, because like you're saying, Randy, at best, they're just poor decisions. And, and, you, and you hit a couple things that were important, that this, this is a crime of sex. So there's a, there's a sexuality involved, you know, and again, as, as girls mature, they experiment with different looks, right? They, 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 they different phases, you know, 
before I met you, I was a, I was a punk rocker. I was a goth punk rocker. You know what I mean? I, I experimented in, in those, in those phases, you know, I used to play Dungeons so, and Dragons and uh, yeah, you still I, I don't Dungeons. do that anymore. I or swear. Are you kidding? You still play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> You're a grandmaster wizard seven. <laughs> Ranger so, cleric. <laughs> so, so, you know, there, there is some things that you can kind of check off as, as normal, you know, normalcy, but there is a sex ingredient and there, and, and you, hopefully you can begin to identify it as a parent where there are certain things that kids just shouldn't know. You know what I mean? Like there's sex talk. There's, there's sex stuff that kids just shouldn't know. So again, at best, they're just being exposed to something um, that is well above their years. At worst, they're starting to get slowly, slowly groomed and habituated to think of sex and sex acts and sexting and passing, passing photos and, and all this type of stuff is becoming normalized. Um, now, when a, when a child is under 18, there's a whole lot a parent can do. And one of those things is that the parent owns everything. A, a, a kid under 18 does not own their phone. They don't own their computer. So there's all sorts of rights a parent has to, to dig into that child's life. And I'm not saying that they should. I'm not saying you should be looking over your child's shoulder and spying on what it is they do. One, one of our recommendations for parents, and, and I think it's fairly non-intrusive and it's reasonable with your kid, is if your child has a social media account or has some new app that they're communicating with, the rule is you create that an account for me on that same app and you friend me. So now I can at least look and see and monitor what types of things uh, my kids and their friends are talking about. Yes, you're never going to stay ahead of them. They're going to they're going to have their things that they carved off. But I find that is a very non-intrusive, intrusive way. And again, Randy, all that's going back to, though, is really being present. It's being involved in your in your kid's life, not being being the spy. Uh, unfortunately, once a, a, a kid reaches the age of 18, there is very little law enforcement to do. There is very little people can do. People have the right in America to make terrible choices. <laughs> and if you're if you're of age, you can make some terrible, terrible choices. So we run across that all the time with Guardian Group where uh, people, parents will reach out to us and we'll look at their kids' social media and we'll kind of advise them on what it is we think we see. But like you so aptly put, until you see evidence of that child for sale, you don't necessarily have a crime that law enforcement can get involved with. Is there like if you're if you're I guess every state's different with the age uh, of a, a girl's consent, right? Uh, so is it is do a lot of states have below eighteen? I, I assume they, a lot. I mean, a lot of teenagers are having sex, I guess. So it's, I don't know. Is that? Yeah. Every state is different. So we, we hinted at this in the, uh, in the intro episode. So the difference between prostitution and trafficking is the evidence of force, fraud, or coercion. Those are the three legal requirements. So if, if, a if a, a law enforcement is going to um, go after somebody or a district attorney is going to charge somebody with trafficking, they have to demonstrate force, fraud, or coercion is an, is involved. Okay, prostitution is the exchange of goods for a sexual act. It doesn't have to be money. It can be ex exchange of anything for worth. So that's where those are different, prostitution and trafficking. Now, in I, I believe it's in every state in the United States. Ohio just changed theirs. Every state in the U.S., if you are involved in prostitution and you're under 18, that's an automatic sex trafficking charge. So you do not have to demonstrate force, fraud, and coercion. Collectively, as a nation, we've said there's no such thing as a, as a minor prostitute. 
So that's automatic traffic. And that is the thing that we focus on with Guardian Group because it's a much easier case to, to prove and to demonstrate. Now, if, uh, and, I, and I get, I'm not, I'm not giving great answers for parents because it's really complicated, but here's a really easy one. Collectively as the United States, what we could do as a community, state and federal law, is we could make, we could raise the level of automatic trafficking from 18 to 21. So if a girl is involved in prostitution at the age of 18, 19, or 20, that's automatic trafficking. We don't have to demonstrate force, fraud, and coercion. If we could get behind and pass that law, it would be the biggest blow to traffickers across the globe because they're getting their hooks in these teenagers, 14, 15, 16 years old, and they're turning them out when they're around 18. Now we're forcing them to hold on to that girl until she's 21. It will single-handedly decimate the commercial sex industry in America. So I don't, I mean, I guess I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you're losing me a little bit on the terminology. So if we, if that law was passed at 20 and under was trafficking, then you just have to prove that they were lost to, that, that some, some, something of value exchanged hands for a, a, a sexual act. But how, did, how do you connect the pimp to that? Because you, you have to connect the – that's what we're doing. Are you, are you connecting the John? Is the John charged with sexual trafficking in that case, John being the client of the prostitute? Nope. So the John, the buyer, the client, uh, it's a different charge if they're having, if they're having sex with a, with a minor. It's, it's a different charge. But what, what really we're talking about the pimp, and, and I'm, I'm glad you asked me to, to clarify that. So four people. Because, wait, 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 wait. Let me let me clarify the question. So yeah. if if we, if if it's automatic trafficking under twenty, that means they don't have to prove coercion. Uh, what the three things you said? What were they? Force, fraud, or coercion. Right. So what are they? Ha- what are they proving that they're that? What are, if they if they don't have to prove that? How do they prove that he's the pimp? That's what I don't understand. So when, when a girl is sold online, and that's largely where this happens, it can happen on the street, it can happen in other places, somebody is controlling and posting that ad. And when you talk about trafficking where the girl is not receiving the money, that, that, that pimp is the one who's, who's controlling it. So that is the thing that we try to do. We, we try to tie true identities to girls that are being sold online so we know who they are. They often have a fake name. And then who it is that is pimping them out who it is that is, is, is their trafficker. So right now, when we find a girl who's over 18, but we can identify who her pimp is, we'll push that information to law enforcement. But now it's up to that community to care because the best you're going to get is a prostitution law, a prostitution charge and or a pimping charge. So if that girl is under 18 right now and we can identify oh, who the predator is, yeah, that 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 is a charge now that law enforcement. So if they're over 18 and they just get and a, a pimping charge is a lot less than a human trafficking charge. Yeah, it's barely anything. It's oh, barely wow. anything. Yeah. Our, our laws in America, uh, our mandatory minimum sentences and things like that for trafficking, they're pretty solid. We just we just aren't used to yet enforcing those and having our juries read on and our judges read on and our DAs read on. To, uh, to, to place those charges. By and large today, most of these traffickers are, are, are plea bargaining down to a, a much lesser sentence. And a, and a lot of times it's a pimping sentence and it's a couple of years at most. Hmm. Wow. Um, I, I had one more question. It's probably out of uh, sequence, but um, so I saw it in your blog post that sometimes there's uh, girls that work for the pimp trafficker 
that are in, that are involved in the recruiting. They're like convincing the girl to join or they're making her feel more comfortable with being a part, part of it or dating the guy or something like that. And, and, and I was always curious and it's not very clear in some of the pod blah, blah, the blog posts is uh, you know, where are those girls like being threatened to do that? Are they complicit in that all the above or, or, or what? So each case has to be taken apart. Just just like I said, we don't we don't work spend a lot of time trying to figure out if if the pimp is a trafficker or a trafficker is a pimp. We we go in synonymously thinking all pimps are traffickers. That's our going in part. Again, because for our listeners out there, even if he's just a pimp and she's just a prostitute, do you think on that journey that they are on together that force fraud and coercion is ever utilized by that guy? To, yeah. to control and of course it's it's just it's just when you can see it and when you can prove it so just like we call pimps and traffickers the same thing we call these prostitutes victims that's how that's our going in stance is that these prostitutes are victims and what you're talking about too is that's where we start we start with the assumption that this woman was forced or coerced to act as this recruiter and and most of them were uh, and what's, what's crazy, Randy, is you go back to um, like Sears school, man. You go back, you, you, the, the, the methods that they exploited us. Uh, so so Sears school is the army, survival, escape, resist, evade that all special operators, rangers, green berets, and other people go to at a minimum. And then a lot of other people can go to. And also every person in the army is required to take an online version of this just so they can be prepared in case they uh, get isolated or captured in combat. Um, but go ahead. So, so yeah, thank you. Thanks for that. So you remember being in the booth, right? And they're, and they're trying to extract information from you. Yeah. What was, what was harder? Was it harder for you to take a slap or a punch or, or dunked into the people's pond was that harder or was it harder for you to watch your mate be slapped or punched or dumped into the people's pond because of answers, questions you wouldn't answer? No, that's, that's actually when I broke in Sears school because they beat the crap out of me and I was, I was fine with it. Cause I was like, yeah, I got a couple of weeks of this, no problem. But uh, then they, there was a, yeah, there's, they took a, a, a woman and, and, and she was screaming and I was like, Oh, what did you want to know? <laughs> exactly. And that's exactly how these traffickers do it. These, these, these victims, they are incredibly strong, capable women. They are, they are survivors. They can withstand a beating. The things that breaks them apart is when their friends, these other girls, they're called sisters. They're called sisters' wives. They're the other girls in this stable. They call it the stable of this pimp. It's when they're getting beat. So very often, in addition to that dynamic of another person is paying for what I'm doing or seemingly done, they'll also, the trafficker, the pimp will also bring one of these girls in to become that enforcer. And the, the name for that, they actually have a term for that. She's called the bottom or the bottom bitch. So she is a crucial ingredient to running this stable. She often is the one who's enforcing the physical punishment. She's the one who's enforcing the emotional and psychological punishment often. And again, it's hard for us to tell until you see case by case, did this, did this girl want to become that position because she's just as bad as the trafficker or was it a, a, a survival mechanism for her to just live and survive to, to avoid that abuse. But it's a critical, critical ingredient. And, and 
people need to know that because too often they're looking for the pimp. They're looking for Dr. Detroit. They're looking for a huggy bear. Okay. In, in a place that has their eyes open in a law enforcement community that is, that is actively looking for these pimps, they're not to be seen. Just like you and I, again, in the military, we have women in special forces. We have women in special operations because for, for me to move through a foreign checkpoint or me to move through a foreign city conducting some sort of operational act, a guy and a gal arm in arm is much less of a signature than you and I walking around. And it's the same thing that these traffickers do. They don't travel often with their girls. They'll send the bottom. It'll be two girls coming to town. Who in the heck is looking for two girls? Even though one of them is kind of the pseudo trafficker. She's the bottom who's controlling the game. Hmm. Okay. Um, what, what, if this is, we're getting to the end of this podcast, I think for uh, recruiting. Uh, but I wanted to ask you like at this phase of the cycle, what does guardian group do for the community to, to help mitigate this, I guess. Yeah, so this this is not a, a core mission of Guardian Group at this assessment and, and recruitment. It's it's a it's a growth industry for us. What we what we want to be able to do is, is to continue to look for identifiers, look for indicators. What are the terms? What are the emojis? So so that we can help other companies build these algorithms. Just you know, just like when you when you say something online and you, you start talking about, you know whatever, Coca-Cola. Next thing you know, what's happening? You're getting Coca-Cola ads because people are monitoring what you're saying and it's getting binned. There is a whole industry to build algorithmic notifiers and binning children into these categories of risk. That's a whole industry that if we, when, when we truly care about this, we'll start to, we'll start to look at that. Uh, Garden Group can assist in that in any, in, in any way we can, um, but it isn't our core mission. The other piece is powering this down to communities and education, teaching in the middle schools, teaching in the high schools, what this looks like, what the indicators look like, helping these girls understand, you know, what it is they potentially are walking into. Again, not guarding group bandwidth, but we assist where we can. One of the things that guarding group very specifically gets involved with, and, and, and it goes back to our name of bringing in the fight to sex trafficking, we're soldiers, we're fighters. We do self-defense seminars all the time for women. Now, partially, that is so when they do get to that point where they're feeling threatened by a date that's gone bad or they're confronted by somebody, they can physically defend themselves. But really what we try to do in Guardian Group is, is offer women and girls uh, building their self-confidence, building their self-esteem. A girl that's confident, a girl that has a high level of self-esteem is way too hard for that predator to deal with. He is looking for that girl who is continually doubting herself, who does, does not have a lot of self-confidence. So collectively in America, that's what we need to do better. And it's what Guardian Group focuses on for our little piece in that beginning cycle. And then I, I think lastly is there's a forensic aspect of this. When we find a, a girl that's being sold and maybe she is 18 or 19 and we can't demonstrate today that she was exploited when she was younger, we're looking more and more to drill back to see when that first contact was made. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, she's, she's only a prostitute today because that's all we can prove. She's 19 years old, but it, but as we develop technologies and, and other ways to go back in time to look at her social media and see when that first contact was made, I think that's another huge part of combating this crime where these traffickers think that they're, they've already passed that hurdle. 
but there is a residue. There's a residue there. There's things that we can see. Um, so it's, it's, it's exciting from that perspective. This episode, we'll get into grooming and, uh, I got any uh, final words. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's going to be for this one, Randy, or the next yeah, one, January. but we do have, we, we've got this modern drawbridge exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if it's either for this one or the next one, and we'll put it in the show notes and what, what the design of that modern drawbridge is, what, what you're presented with the listeners that want to participate is it's, it's a scenario and, and it's, it's, it's only one or two kind of scenarios put together. It is a very typical journey that a lot of, a lot of these girls get, get lured into. So you're able to read this journey of, of this girl. Um, we picked the name Susie for her. And then you're able to look at the different people in the community that she bumped into along this journey. And then you rank order from one to seven, who you think is most responsible. Um, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag before you even look at it. What you will conclude is there isn't necessarily one person that was responsible. There are some that are more responsible than others, but you'll see as a community, we all have sometimes a subtle and sometimes a very overt opportunity to intervene and and change the course of this cycle. So I do want to invite your listeners, our listeners uh, to participate in this modern drawbridge exercise. Take a look at it. uh, Tell us what they felt, what they learned, and if it shaped kind of their opinion of this crime moving forward. So, hey, Jeff, so January is uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Month, right? Uh, what's that yeah. all about? How'd that happen? So I, I don't really know where it all started, but uh, internationally, it's recognized as Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And then here in the United States, we've specifically chosen January 11th as Human Trafficking Awareness and Prevention Day. So this is a great time for our audience to, to, to pause Take a look at this crime, try to understand it, because people all around the globe are, are sharing in this. There's a, you know, there's there's a strength and a power in numbers, pausing, looking at a problem, and trying to find practical solutions. If you enjoyed this episode, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. If you need help with a potential trafficking situation, please contact your local law enforcement agency or call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 888-373-7888 or text HELP to 233-733. Resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at www.guardiangroup.org slash podcast. If you'd like to donate to the fight against human trafficking, please go to www.guardiangroup.org slash donate. If you have a question you would like answered on a future episode, please send it to contact at guardiangroup.org.